Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all, and I'm glad that you could be here with us today and that you guys outside of the park and online with us, welcome. It's good to have you join us to worship God today. And today is actually the fifth week of our series on prayer called How to Pray, a Simple Guide for Normal People. And the whole reason that we're in this series as a church is to cultivate our prayer life, is to cultivate a deeper intimacy with God and a deeper trust in His promises and in His Word, and to actually pray and seek Him. And actually, um, I think it was just after Adam's sermon on Hallowed Be Your Name that I experienced one of the most beautiful times in prayer recently. Um, It was the Monday night afterwards, and in our growth group at the beginning of the group time, we decided to spend some time in prayer. And the growth group guide told us um, not to just ask God for what we wanted, but to praise Him, just to praise Him in prayer, to hallow His name. And it was so rich. I just remember one of the, one of the ladies uh, saying, God, you are so big, you are so great, you are so much bigger. And we were just praying together in that room. And I just felt like a really deep sense of God's presence. It was really a rich time in prayer. And our hope is really that that you guys will come out of the series with some of your own stories as well, that you'll be able to testify that you in your own prayer life are growing and you're sensing God's presence more and you're enjoying your time in prayer more. Today we're looking at the line in Jesus' prayer which says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. And, And we're thinking about how to pray for our needs and how to pray for the needs of others. Now, on the surface, that sounds so simple. How do I pray for my needs? Well, I ask God for what I need, and then I add the magic word at the end, amen, and that's how you pray for your needs, right? Well, we're going to go a little bit deeper than that this morning, and we're going to be asking questions like, is there a more biblical way to pray for our needs? Can we, should we have any confidence that God will answer our prayers? Is everything open to us? Can we pray for anything? Can I pray for a parking spot at Westfield? Or does God not really care about that? 
How do we actually pray for our needs? How should we go about this? And I think this is really important for us to think about as a church, because I wouldn't be surprised if there are some of you here this morning that are not that interested in prayer. Maybe you think God has set everything in concrete and there's no point. Maybe you've tried praying before and you didn't feel like God answered you that time and so you're discouraged. Maybe you think you're not close enough to God, that you're too broken still or you don't spend enough time in in the Bible or whatnot and you think, no, he wouldn't listen to me. I think we really need to to hear from God through the scriptures this morning because we want to be shaped by what he says about prayer and not necessarily any other sort of thought that we have. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I just want to say welcome. It's, It's great to have you here with us. And maybe you're atheist or you're agnostic and you think that praying is just speaking words into an empty room. It has no meaning at all. But I want to suggest that prayer is actually one of our most natural inclinations as human beings. Think about moments of crisis where people who don't believe, have any belief in God at all, begin to pray and ask for help. That there's no such thing as an atheist on a falling plane, apparently. Or if you're from a different faith background, the Christian claim is that through Jesus, we have a unique and intimate access to God. And I just want you to listen along this morning and to consider that claim. So let's take a look at how to pray for our needs together. And we're going to approach this topic by asking three questions of the Bible. Three questions. What does God actually promise? What does God want us to do? And should we be confident? What does actually God promise to us in prayer? What does God want us to do in prayer? And why should we be confident in prayer? Uh, sound guys, I'm ringing a bit up here. I don't know if everyone else can hear that, but that would be amazing. You can turn me down a tad. All right, let's look at that first question. What does God actually promise? What does God actually promise? Well, the line that we're looking at in the Lord's Prayer today is that line, give us today our daily bread. Now, that's not a promise in itself, but later on in the chapter, Jesus says a few words that relate directly to this, and he gives us a promise. We heard it a little bit in our Bible reading just a few moments ago, where Jesus says, so do not worry, what, saying, what shall we eat, daily bread, or, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and the promise is, and all these things will be given to you as well. There's the promise. So in these verses, Jesus promises that God will give us our basic needs. And this lines up perfectly with what Jesus meant when he tells us to pray for our daily bread. Bread was a common staple food in the ancient world. They'd eat it almost every day. And Jesus didn't tell us to pray, give me my daily bread with Tim Tams on it. (laughs) Or give me my daily flat white. Although if he was Australian, maybe he would have said that. Or give me today my daily Mercedes. He told us to pray for our needs for the day. And this becomes clearer when we look at the background of Jesus' prayers, an amazing rich background behind this phrase, give us today our daily bread. Um, The background comes from the book of Exodus, where God provided Israel daily bread during their time in the wilderness. And they called this bread manna, 
And each day during their time in the wilderness, God rained down bread from heaven and provided for his people for that day. Now, that context in itself shows us what daily bread really means. Because Israel's time in the wilderness was not luxurious. It was pretty difficult. The desert is a harsh place. But God sustained them and he gave them what they needed. So when we pray, give us our daily bread, it's like we're praying for our daily manna. It's not luxurious. It doesn't come with Nutella or Tim Tams on it. But it's enough for each day. And God's purpose behind manna was to teach his people to rely on him. They just come out of slavery, Israel, by this point. And he was trying to teach a slave people how to trust again. He wanted to teach them to rely on him for their daily bread. That's why when you go and read about it, he only gave them enough bread for each day. Now, there's actually um, examples in the Bible where some people took too much bread and the next day there'd be worms and maggots infesting it. God just wanted them to rely on him day after day after day after day for their bread. He wanted them to trust him as their provider. He wanted them to believe that he was for them and to put their faith in him. It's part of the background to this prayer of Jesus's. And Moses said to Israel in Deuteronomy 8, he said, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart? whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God wants us to pray for daily bread, not simply because he wants to give us what we need each day, but because he wants us to depend on him, to trust him, to look to him, just like a father, he wants us to rely on him. I've got a son, his name's Silas, and he's only just over one year old, so he can't do that much yet. But I can imagine him growing up to being 10 years old, for example. And imagine if he went out to the local convenience stores and whatnot, and he, he went and asked for jobs. He went and tried to get a job so he could earn money and buy his own food and whatnot. Now, if I walked outside and I walked to these stores and I found him doing that, I'd be shocked I'd be hurt I'd be like what's going on mate 18 you're out of the house but right now <laughs> let me provide for you I'm your father I'm your dad you don't need to be doing all this let me provide for you and that's kind of similar to what God is saying in this prayer he doesn't want us it's actually freeing he doesn't actually want us to have to worry about those necessities for each day he wants us to rely on him to pray to him to ask him for something as simple as our daily food, our daily drink, clothes to wear. Now, in the West, I think most of us don't feel the need to rely on God for these material things too much. Most of us um, are okay in this respect. We have wonderful privileges and services we have access to. We have a lot of free medical services. There's welfare for the poor. And usually we can buy groceries for an entire week, let alone just enough for the day. Most of us don't necessarily feel the crunch in terms of our material needs. But even though most of our bellies are full in the West, we are spiritually starving. Spiritually starving. If you look at the statistics across the West, places like Europe, America, Australia, Faith has been declining. Christianity has been declining. 
And a part of that is because we've become more and more wealthy and our immediate need for God has been dulled. And I think we've been paying the price for this in terms of our immaterial needs, in terms of our spiritual, our psychological, our emotional needs. And one thing I can say to back this up is point to a newspaper article from The Guardian, a fairly reliable newspaper. And they wrote an article last year on mental illnesses across the globe. And one of the things they discovered was that in the top 10 countries experiencing um, mental illness and the burden of that, um, it was dominated by rich countries. So I'll put a little graph for you on the screen. All those red bars there, the ones that they believe are rich countries, Australia is the worst out of all of them. And those are the top 10 countries that experience the burden of mental illness. Now, if you've done any study in statistics or anything like that, you know it's uh, risky ground to start claiming what caused that, to claim a cause and effect relationship. But I wonder if for us in the West, in these rich countries, the rise of secularism has contributed to this. I wonder if it could be that our wealth has blinded us to our need for God and that we are spiritually starving as a result. And Jesus is so much smarter than we are. Before the, the invention of modern psychology, he already knew that we needed more than just physical things. He knew that we needed spiritual, emotional, psychological uh, health as well. And his instructions to pray for daily bread not only teaches us to pray for our material needs, but it is a request to satisfy our deep hunger for God. This is why Moses said thousands of years ago, God humbled you, Israel, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We need God. We need to hear his voice. We need to have relationship with him. The truly human life is the one which feeds on God's word like it is absolutely necessary for survival. And John 6, Jesus said to a crowd, he said, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread, the manna from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And here's the promise. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are asking God to provide for our physical needs, but we're also asking God to satisfy our spiritual hunger. God has not promised to give us anything and everything he wants. He doesn't promise us Tim Tams or Mercedes, although if you have access to those things, that's wonderful. What a blessing. But he has promised to meet our physical needs, and he has promised to ravish our souls with the love of Jesus. This is what God promises to us in prayer. But is there a certain way God wants us to go about prayer? Like, is there a certain way to unlock this? Or do we just need to recite the Lord's Prayer every day? What if we miss that line on daily bread? What if we forget that? Is that a problem? Will God not provide us with that if we don't pray that? Like, let's have a look at that second question. What does God want us to do? What does he want us to do in prayer? 
Well, the first thing we can say is that Jesus not only wants us to pray the order of the Lord's Prayer, he wants us to live the order of the Lord's Prayer. Adam kind of alluded to this a few weeks ago when he said that a lot of uh, people have actually pointed to the Lord's Prayer as an example or as as a summary of the Christian life. And that's exactly right. Prayer isn't meant to be separated from life, it's meant to be driving our life. And did you notice that in Matthew 6, in those verses in the Bible reading earlier, when Jesus instructs us on what to do, he actually instructs us according to the order of the Lord's Prayer. Okay, let me explain that by getting a table up on the screen, because I love tables and we did it last week. So on the left, we've got the Lord's Prayer, and on the right, we've got Jesus' instructions. So the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, our Father in heaven, and then in instructions, he says, your heavenly Father knows what you that you need them, these basic things. So we start off with the Father. Then in, in the left, in the Lord's Prayer, he, he asks all these God-centered requests. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In his instructions, he asks us to live a God-centered life. But seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And then in his prayer, he comes to give us our daily bread. And in his instructions, he says, all these basic necessities will be given to you as well. Jesus wants us to order our lives according to the order of his prayer. Now, we can't forget that before we pray for our daily needs, we first of all, we come before our Heavenly Father. We ask for his will to be done on earth, his purposes to be done. And then Jesus instructs us to pray for the immediate needs of our own and of our church. Jesus promises that God will provide us with our needs, but what does he want us to do? He wants us to pray for the kingdom, and he wants us to seek it. Now, what does that really mean, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, Jesus asks us here to really live by faith, to not worry about food on the table tonight and instead to seek God's purposes, to live a life that exemplifies God's kingdom righteousness which Jesus elaborates on in, Matthew's, in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, called the Sermon on the Mount. He talks all about the kingdom kind of life, a life that blesses when cursed, a life that seeks the good of others, a life that earnestly prays that this world would be put right and then puts its hand up to be part of the answer to that prayer. And a man who lived a lot like this was a man by the name of George Muller. George Muller was a 19th century philanthropist and pastor, And this is what Pete Grieg writes about him in his book. He says, George Muller was often forced to take the prayer for daily bread very literally indeed. On one occasion, he stood before 300 hungry orphans gathered for breakfast. He sat a number of orphanages across the UK. And knowing that there was no food in the kitchen, he said, Grace, thanking God and faith for the food, and I quote, you are going to give us to eat. Thanking God and faith for the food, you are going to give us to eat. Suddenly, there was a banging at the door and the local baker entered carrying three huge trays of fresh bread, explaining that he'd been up since two o'clock that morning baking for them. The milkman appeared next, announcing that his cart had broken down outside and wondering if they could use his load of fresh milk. Hundreds of children got their daily bread that morning, washed down with creamy milk. It was a breakfast they would surely remember for the rest of their lives whenever they prayed the Lord's Prayer. Go and check out George Mueller's life for yourself. It's a pretty amazing life. 
Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what does God want from us in prayer? He wants us to ask him for what we need because he's our father in heaven. He wants us to seek his kingdom and his will because they are so good and that they should be first and foremost in our prayers and all of our life. But there's a little bit of a problem building up here. Because if God's promise to provide us with our needs is based on what God wants, that is, seeking the kingdom first, then aren't we in a little bit of a pickle? I mean, how much do we really live by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? How much of our lives are actually characterized by seeking God's kingdom? Jesus teaches us in that Sermon on the Mount things like the golden rule, do to others what you would have them do to you. How often do we actually go about our days like that? He teaches us to turn the other cheek. He teaches us not even to embrace anger and hate for someone else because even just by doing that, we've committed murder in our hearts. He teaches us not even to look at someone with lust or greed because even just by looking like that, we've committed adultery in our hearts. He teaches us to bless people who revile us and speak badly of us. He teaches us to go the extra mile for someone who forces us to do something for them, to be that loving, to be like, actually, I'd like to do more for you if I can. <laughs> the kingdom life is a pretty extraordinary life. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But can we really say that we seek first the kingdom? How often we do that? Can we say that we've done that enough? We struggle to live that kind of life. And I guess the question is, why should God answer our prayers at all? Why should God help people who so imperfectly live the kingdom kind of life? Why should God answer the prayers of those who, who shame him by cursing and disrespecting other people made in his image? Should we have any confidence at all that God would provide for our daily needs when we ask him? Well, let's take a look at that third question. Why should we be confident? Can we be confident? When we look at Israel, their time in the wilderness over those 40 years, they failed their test. Remember how we read in Deuteronomy 8 earlier, where it said, The Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Well, the test revealed that the state of Israel's heart was pretty bad. They grumbled. They abandoned God, they made a golden calf and worshipped it. And as a result, God's presence eventually left the people as you go through the biblical story. And as you go through the biblical story, you see faith in Israel dwindling and decreasing until there is almost nothing left. And by the close of the Old Testament, there was 400 years of silence from God. 400 years. But God hadn't stopped being gracious because he raised up another Israelite. And when he was born, his parents named him Jesus, which means savior. And as if to rewrite Israel's story of rebellion, Jesus too went into the wilderness to be tested. Not for 40 years, but for 40 days and 40 nights. No manna rained down for him from heaven. 
He wasn't provided for in that way, but yet he did not grumble once against his father. And he knew what it meant to look to God for his strength and sustenance, because when Satan tempted him to use his power to serve himself, saying in Matthew 4, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, Jesus answered and quoted from that scripture in Deuteronomy 8, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Israel heard these words from Deuteronomy 8 as a correction when they mistrusted God. Jesus quoted these words from Deuteronomy 8 as evidence of his own trust in God. You see, Jesus was the perfect Israelite, the perfect human being. He experienced weakness and hunger and persecution and difficulty, but he never grumbled against his father. He continued to live from every word his father gave him for all the days of his life. Where we have failed, Jesus has succeeded. Where we have grumbled, Jesus has trusted. Where we have been hateful to others, Jesus has been merciful. Where we have lost focus on God and served ourselves, Jesus has remained focused and served others. Where we have been disinterested in God and in prayer, Jesus spent entire nights praying and enjoying the presence of his Father. Jesus was the perfect Israelite, the perfect human, the son with whom God was well pleased. So what does this have to do with our confidence in prayer? I mean, doesn't this just mean that God would listen to Jesus' prayers? What does this have to do with us? Well, the reason he went into the wilderness and lived an entire life of faithfulness was for our sake. He came to to fulfill the law that we have broken, to free us from its obligations by obeying it for us. Galatians 4, it says... But when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's not a gender thing there. The reason the Bible uses sonship is because our our status as children is based on Jesus' sonship. Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba father, Abba, Papa, father. So do you hear what this is saying? It's saying Jesus fulfilled the law which condemned us so that we could be adopted as God's children, so that we could have such intimate access to the father that we could call him dad, Abba, Papa, father. When we receive Jesus as God's king, When we put our faith in him and worship him, God adopts us as his children and credits Jesus' perfect life to us. In John 1, it says, to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, God gave the right to become children of God. We can ask God for our needs with childlike confidence because through Jesus, we have become God's children. We can ask God for our needs with childlike confidence because through Jesus, we have become God's children as well. I remember hearing a story in the Alpha course about a soldier during the American Civil War. And his, brother, his brothers and his father had died during this war and his, his mother and his sister were left at home on the family farm and, and they could hardly provide for themselves. They needed more help. 
And so this soldier, he pleaded with his commanding officer to be let go, to, to, to let him go home, to help his family. But they said no. He tried to get a hearing with the president himself, but the politicians scoffed at him. They laughed at him as if the president, this kind of man, would have anything to do with an individual soldier's needs. So the soldier was sitting out nearby the White House, and he was feeling sad and depressed and hopeless. And this little boy walked up to him, and he said, what's wrong? And the soldier poured out his heart to this little boy. He told him everything that was going on and how sad he was and how he wanted to go home and help his mother and his sister. And this little boy just took his hand and said, come with me. And they walked through the park and they came to the White House and they walked through the gates and, and as they came up to the front door, they looked at him a bit oddly, but no one stopped him and they walked through past security, past all the politicians floating around, all the way up to the president's front door. And then the child just barged into the room in the middle of a meeting and goes up to the president and says, Dad, this soldier needs to speak to you. And the president gave a hearing to this soldier because the son had that kind of intimacy, that kind of access. And it's the same thing with us and with God. When we put our faith in Jesus, God adopts us, not only just lets our son bring, it, bring us up to him, but actually adopts us as his own children so that we might have access to the most powerful being in the universe and be able to talk to him as his children. We can ask God for our needs with childlike confidence because through Jesus, we have become God's children. So if you're a Christian, this means that you are free from trying to prove yourself to God because Jesus has proven to be perfectly obedient in your place. Instead, we're actually freed up to approach God as Father, to ask Him for what we need and to, to devote ourselves to seeking His kingdom. Now, some of you may need to start asking God again for your basic needs and cultivate a close relationship with him. Ask him for anything you need in the day. Some of you may need to start treasuring God's words in the Bible and, and, and living from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Others of you may need to start by just praying through the first few lines of the Lord's Prayer each day. But wherever God is pressing in on your heart this morning, I just want to encourage you to, to follow his voice, to be obedient to him. And if you're not a Christian here this morning or online with us, I hope you see the incredible grace of God. He doesn't require us to work up a ladder towards Him. He doesn't require us to, to reach a state of meditation or, or spiritual expertise before we can talk to Him. He simply asks that we honor His beloved Son, that we give Jesus our trust, and we will be welcomed into the family. Are you sick of being constrained to your own abilities and putting all the pressure, all the burdens on yourself? Don't you want access to someone as powerful and loving as God? Put your trust in Jesus. I want to finish church just by reading an answer to prayer that Mishan and I received while I was in London. And I'm sharing this because this is one of my personal stories of how God came through for me in prayer. And I just want to share that with you to encourage you to ask God for what you need. Because if you are in Jesus, you are God's child. Now, I was going to read it out from my phone, but I left it down there. Luckily, I put it on here because I keep my journal in my phone. But I've, luckily, I've got it up here on, on, on my paper. Okay, so I'm reading from my journal. The 28th of March, 2017. 
was home praying tonight and just was overwhelmed by how God answers prayers and how he lavishes good things upon Mishan and I. I want to always remember times like these. In October 2016, Pastor John asked if I would return to BPCC. Mishan and I spent time praying and felt God saying yes to this open door. So we said yes, we'd be interested in this in December. I had an interview in the following February 2017 when we went back to Brisbane for a visit, but everything was not confirmed yet. It felt like it was still up in the air. When we returned to London, we prayed about Australia and our remaining time in the UK, and we felt that God would have us go back to Australia in the middle of 2017. But we had no confirmation for this, and everything still felt like it was up in the air. Misham was still locked into a paramedic contract, and if we were to break it, we would have to pay money which we didn't have. And during these last months before this, before this, Michelle was really crying out to God to get her out of this job. She just couldn't take the shift work any longer. All of these things culminated yesterday, where after all the uncertainty, Michelle received a confirmation that she would be made redundant. On the same day, I also received a confirmation that the elders were happy to employ me and I got the job. And on the same day, the landlord said he was happy for us to include a two-month break clause in our lease. God is amazing. He comes through and brings all these things together just to bless us. He is so trustworthy. I remember we were just amazed on that day where all these three things came together at once. We'd been spending months just praying, trying to discern God's will, asking for his help in all of this. Through Jesus, God has become our Father, and we can just bring our needs to him. And so we're going to finish in prayer in our church. I'm going to begin but I'm just going to leave a minute there for you to, to give your own prayers to God, whether silently or out loud, it's up to you. But I'm going to give us a minute, and I just want you to think about whatever might be on your heart that you need right now, that you want to pray for. Maybe it's for others. Let's spend some time in prayer to our Father together. Father, we just come before you right now, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has secured access to you like this, that we can just speak to you. Even though you are the creator, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the star breather, you call us to come near to you, to speak to you as your children. You love us. And so, Lord, we just bring our prayers to you right now for this next minute. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to guess and hope that you will hear our prayers, but through Jesus, we know that you hear us, that you listen to us, you love us, you care for us. We just hand our requests over to you. Help us to pray. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to.